Welcome to Wagon Wheel. I'm Jared Kimber. This is the cricket podcast where we answer your questions. Uh, we're re- recording live as normal on YouTube. So big shout out to Amit, DM. Uh, who else we got? Shamarana in here. Juggling geek. The best kind of um, geek. Uh, William's in here. Ben's in here. And Wesh. Um, I think I got most people. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, the best way to ask a question on this show, of course, is always with um, Patreon. Uh, so thank you very much to everyone who supports us on Patreon and, uh, we will, uh, certainly get to, uh, I think there's a few questions there, but if you are listening live on YouTube and you want to, um, ask a question, the best way is, uh, with a super chat, but if not put your questions in like many people already have, and I'll try and get to them at the end. Uh, but let's start with the Patreon questions. And Ian says, have you been surprised how decent your pitches have been in India? Sharma's comments after the South African game made me think we were going to be getting two-day tests, but there has been more or less eight full days play across the first two. I'm not disappointed, but I am quite surprised. Well, they've been fantastic wickets to begin with. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> after what Rowan Sharma said at South Africa, I was a bit like, wait, what? Um, these are not those kinds of wickets, but I do think after the Australian series, I believe internally there were some conversations of, you know, is this actually working for us? Is this helping us be the best cricket team we should be? Um, is this, is this doing things that perhaps are not helping us, um, altogether? Uh, you know, we, we know that they're batters. I mean, they're, they're struggling to keep batters in the side, right? Like it's, uh, so I think there's an issue there. Um, and then there's the, you know, you shouldn't really be out bowled in a test match by um, uh, Todd Murphy, right, or Matt Kuhneman and those sorts of things. So I, I do think there was an element of the Indians going, why are we allowing for average spinners to come in and look really, really good? You know, I, I don't know if they've looked at this, Ian, because um, I haven't really talked to anyone about it, um, like on, on the Indian side, but Ashwin on flat pitches is still absolutely incredible. And today's just pretty good on flat pitches as well. The rest of the spinners um, in the world are not. So why? And, and when you have wickets that are ragging, Ashwin doesn't c- continue to get so much better than everyone else. What it does is it brings other people closer to his level. Why, why would you want to do that? So oh, I can understand that. Having said that, I think I thought coming in that perhaps the um, really flat pitches, which we've seen a couple in India, um, you know, n- not not a great deal, but I think we've seen a couple in India. Uh, but the flat pitches and also the ragging sideways pitches might be the best baseball ones, but perhaps they've actually given England pretty handy wickets to play on so far. But the Indian spinners haven't been at their best. So, uh, you know, if the Indian spinners were bowling at the level that you would expect them to, that, prob- that probably, you know, England isn't in any of these games. Part of that has to come down to how England's played against them, you know, putting pressure on them, ruining their plans, those sorts of things as well. Uh, Will says, given Australia became a federation on January 1st, 1901, why not have, have New Year's Day be Australia Day and give people uh, New Year's Eve or January 2nd off as well? I think I said in a recent podcast it should be January 3rd, right, um, to celebrate um, a New Year's Day test. Um, yeah, I think there's many different days, uh, days that they could look at. Uh, doesn't There's no reason for it to be the 26th of January. I don't give a... At a certain point... And, and I'm not obviously the most patriotic person on earth, but at a certain point, like I understand the community aspect of it. Um, and I understand that, you know, people like to all pull together. I mean, we're all here on, on our sports platform because we, you know, like our players playing for our team with their badge. Like I understand that side of thing, but the date, like I don't feel any more Australian on the 26th of January than I do on the 1st of January or the 12th of February or, you know, I don't know, uh, last Saturday in September. 
I feel very Melbourneian, probably on the last Saturday in September, but that's a different uh, conversation we had. But, you know, it, at a certain point, uh, just change the date because it doesn't need to stay on that. But it be, the problem with all these sorts of things now is they all become culture wars, right? <laughs> Everything becomes a culture war. It's like, this is not a culture war. We made a mistake when we put it on this date. Let's just fix it. Then we can move on. And, I don't know, give the 20, keep the 26th of January as a different day, um, day off if people need it. Make it the 25th of January and just do nothing at all. Uh, Will says, I'm, I'm going to pitch dropping best off Mark Wood in the third test. The three spinners are working well for England. Anderson helps uh, pick up the slack, but it would be helpful to have an impact bowler when batters are starting to um, run away from England. I know it limits the batting to have folks at six, but Ahmed, Hartley, and Wood are all reasonable hitters. Hmm. If you want your top order to be attacking, I don't think you can really give them Ryan Ahmed at number seven. Um, you know, without getting too much more back to the Evan Golbus effect, there is a potential for that. I just want them to play the way they have been playing. Um, if Wood is sorry, if Root is bowling, um, then uh, Bashir coming out for Root with with Wood coming in. Is uh, I would have thought a more elegant solution to this, Will. Um, but to be honest, you know, I'd, ha I'd have to go through it probably a little bit deeper. But yeah, I'm not madly keen on this. I, I don't like. I, I, I don't. I don't think that that plays to England's current strength. And then, so so the team that you have has Wood, Anderson, Hartley, Ahmed. Wait, yeah. So Anderson, Wood, Hartley, Ahmed. Bashir and Root. Do you need six bowling options? Like, you know, as long as Root's finger's fine, he's more than okay for, what, 20, 25 overs a game in India? Um, feels like It feels like a lot of different uh, bowlers that would not be easy to manage, I would have thought. Although I suppose England have had some lineups like that earlier, but uh, Nadika says, you recently mentioned the next goat cricketer after Bradman would be Sobers or Callis, followed by Imran Khan. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what factors put Sobers and Callis above Imran Khan? Um, so in Sobers' case, uh, I'd have to go back and have a look. But my, my guess is, is, oh, actually, do I have it here? made a mistake with the Jimmy Anderson stat the other day. I think I said he's bowled 37,000 balls and it was like, 70,000 or 80,000 balls. He was still less than Courtney Walsh, which was my point, because I was trying to read things live. So I'm going to do it again, because that's kind of maverick I am. Um, but but I would assume that um, uh, for the era that he was in, uh, Sobers is probably, what, you know, 50% better than a standard batter. Is that, does that sound fair? Um, yeah, roughly, maybe slightly less than that, right? Like, a, it would be a huge ratio up on what you would expect. Like, Bradman is um, double um, uh, top top six player, um, I think, in his era. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, so, yeah, Sobers would be halfway between the two. Uh, and then you get with Sobers the ability to bowl, um, seem... Um, uh, with the new ball, probably with a bowling average of around 28. So I would say an above average um, seam bowler uh, for his era, left arm as well, which was quite handy. Then you have his spin, which is probably more around bang average his spin, if we're being honest, but gives you that third option um, available to you um, with that. Uh, with Callis, you have, you know, again, 
in Callis and Sobers, you both have top ten bowl uh, batters of all time. Um, I don't think, I don't think we would put Imran Khan down as a top ten bowler of all time, um, as fantastic as he was. But I think he'd make a fairly safe case for Sobers and for Callis. Um, and Sobers bowled thirty eight overs per over uh, per game, something ridiculous. And with Callis, you got another te- top ten bowler. Uh, um, uh, batter of all time and you've got someone who gives you what 20 overs of um you know wicket taking you know um net neutral bowling um a couple of hundred wickets probably over the, the course of his career so if you go to imran khan let's say that imran khan is if if the other two are s tier level batting talents maybe he's like a uh like a really, really, you know, top level, you know, 1A um, uh, level. So just maybe slightly below when it comes to bowling. And then let's flip over to his batting. His batting numbers overall look look really, really good. Um, but remember that a lot of his runs are, uh, what's the best way of putting it? Um, God, you can't even Google Imran Khan anymore, can you? Because <laughs> 83 articles about politics just to find his freaking Crick Info profile. Um, uh, so let's just have a look. So his bowling average overall is 22.81, which is absolutely fantastic. Remember that the last part of his career, he was a little bit more low usage. I think that is worth remembering a little bit. And his batting average is 37. So he's about a net neutral batter and probably just a sub, you know, Ghana, um, Bumrah, uh, you know, McGrath level bowler. Right, You're not not he's not far off any of those guys, but probably just a hair off um, uh, those players. But with his batting being a net neutral, it's worth remembering that. I, I, and I've got a lot of respect for the way he bats, but there is certainly an element of he was very good at not getting out, rather than very good at scoring. So I think most players who end up with a batting average of thirty seven. Actually, we could probably look at this. This this is quite an interesting one. But my guess is that most batters who end up with a batting average of 37 with, let's see how many runs he got. So let's do 2,000 runs. He got almost 4,000 runs, right? If we we put this in, my guess is that most batters who who score around that sort of area, you're looking at, let's go 35 rather than... uh, and let's put in, I was putting 3,000 runs. Let's give ourselves a little buffer. All right. So that should give us a couple hundred. Oh, what have I done here? Batting. Oh my God. Batting average and batting. Oh. <laughs> okay. Sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, the, the point being that I would say that if we looked through it all together, uh, what we'd be looking at is a player who is very good at not getting out rather than a player who is very good at making runs. And look, that's an exceptional skill to have. No one's having a go at Imran Khan for what he did. Um, but I would say that he probably had a lower impact on the results of games in the way that he batted than Sobers. Like, Sobers' third best skill is bowling finger spin, left arm finger spin, probably into the foot marks, low economy, is probably fastly more important than Imran's, um, uh, sorry, is, is probably roughly as important as Imran's second skill. And you haven't then factored in the, uh, that Sobers probably averages about 28 with the new ball, right? So if we look at some of the other guys around him, let's have a look. 
So Jimmy Adams averages 41 in test cricket with, uh, so you got 400, 600. So I'm just having a look here. Lindsay has, uh, yeah. So in terms of games, so, so Jimmy Adams averages 41 in test cricket, plays 30 less tests than Imran Khan, scores almost a thousand less runs, but scores the same amount of hundreds, right? So the, the batting that Imran Khan gives you is what I would call like healthy, um, handy batting. So it's like Daniel Vittori, right? That's a big difference to what these other two are offering. I think the, the Callis one, you could make, maybe make an argument with Callis and Sobers. I, I, sorry, Callis and Khan and Imran. I don't, I don't have a, a, a big one. I, I haven't gone into this deeply at the moment, Nadika. I have said before that for a decade, Imran Khan is probably the second best cricketer. But the first decade, he wasn't, you know, that he played. He had such a long career. Um, his peak is certainly, um, you know, maybe number two on the list. But I don't think he was all the way through. Um there's a lot of average batting that he gave you for a long time and his bowling wasn't as effective and all sorts of things. But look, that's probably the most obvious top four, I would have thought. Um, and then you start to get into um, trying to think of the sort of players you would get into kind of worn, murally, Sachin, Hutton, uh, Hobbs type territory of the more specialist players off the top of my head, you know, McGrath, um, Marshall Garner those sorts of players. Uh, I mean, Hadley and Kapildev probably come up as well, just because of it, that secondary skill a bit um, as well. Um, but yeah, um, that's probably where you're going uh, with that. But it's really hard. I'm just doing the top batters and it's hard enough. So when you start to factor in what you do on both sides of the ball, it gets tricky. James says, since the concept of moral victory has already been extended to the moral ashes, what do you think the current state of the moral world test championship table would be? And who have you got in the moral final? Um, well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I haven't really thought about it. Uh, I almost wrote in, um, moral at a point. I don't even know. I haven't even looked at the points table in the last couple of weeks. Um, since all, everything's been going on. So what have we got here? Australia, India, South Africa, England. So England is currently eighth on the world test championship. So morally got to be in the top four because they're changing cricket forever. Right. Um, uh, West Indies, morally, uh, quite high. Jeez, Bangladesh, New Zealand and South Africa haven't really played much, have they? Um, yeah. Uh, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair one. Um, it's it, Obviously, that became a bit of a, a meme, but it kind of England-born on themselves by the way they were talking about everything, right? Um, but it was quite funny. Um Actually, James, I'll take a quick break and then I will come back and do your questions. Wagon wheel with Jared Kimber. Uh, remember, if you're desperate to have a chat, uh, the best way is with Super Chat. But if not, put as many comments in as you can. Like, subscribe, do all those things. I'll be back in a memento. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. 
Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with Nord VPN today. All right, welcome back. James had another question, which was, who would you say was the first ODI specialist? If we loosely define that as a player who was a regular in ODIs, but was never a regular in the Test 11. Ooh, that's a really good question. There were certainly a lot of like fringy players um, that that had roles like that. Um, I don't know if there were many players who played a lot of ODIs and no tests before 1990-ish. But there were there were players, you know, um, did Neil Fairbrother? Just trying to think of Neil Fairbrother's career. I'm trying to remember how many tests someone like him played and also what era he was in. Uh, so he plays 10 tests, 75 ODIs. Yeah, he's 87. Um, the, England also had a couple of wicketkeepers, you know, Gunnar Gould, uh, that whole Gunnar Gould wicketkeeper phrase. Well, I forget who they were, but there's about three or four of them. I don't think many of them played test cricket. So England were toying with it. I mean, they were so advanced when it came to playing um, uh, ODIs. And I'm trying to think, there must be a West Indian. I suppose Roger Harper, would Roger Harper um, be another one? He would have been a little bit earlier than Fairbrother. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone in India or Pakistan. Sri Lanka's a bit trickier. Uh, so Roger Harper played 25 tests, but 105 ODIs. And when does he play his last test? Huh, he still played one in 93. Bit, bit surprised by that. R- Roger Harper would certainly come to mind for me. Um, i trying to think if there's any New Zealand specialists as well. I feel like there would be someone from New Zealand, India, and um, uh, New Zealand, India, and Pakistan as well in that kind of mix, if not exactly. But I would think, look, my guess would be Roger Harper. If, if we went through Roger Harper's career, <laughs> why would we not want to? Um Roger Harper, let's have a look, plays 11 tests in 1984 and never plays more than five again in a single year. Um, And only plays 25 in total. So certainly from, what, 1984 onwards, he is a one-day specialist, but let's have a look how many times he plays. Yeah, so probably 85, 86, 87, Roger Harper. He plays over 10 games every year there. Um, and for those who don't know, so Roger Harper was a spinner from um, the West Indies who, you know, was probably more of an all-rounder than a spinner, if we're being honest, but uh, sort of darted the ball in, was a brilliant, brilliant fielder. We don't talk about Roger Harper's fielding enough um, anymore, but was a brilliant mover and, and predictor of fielding patterns. And, you know, one of those players that well before their time was kind of really, you could see him in the field getting to positions, incredible off his own bowling. Weird bowling action, staccato off-spin kind of bowling action. Not much of a spinner, but it was clever and got it through. Um, made a little bit of runs as well. But uh, he would come to mind. But it's a good question uh, to have, um, James. And 
it, it's something I will probably look up one day now because you've got me hooked. But yeah, I, I would have thought Roger Harper is there. But there's, yeah, there's a few guys probably in that Kerry Packer era and everything. It was hard to be an ODI specialist back then because they, they weren't paid a lot of money to play in those games and you couldn't get a contract. In, you know, county cricket was still a really important thing. You couldn't always get a contract for that. So Kerry Packer slightly changed things. Um, uh, when he, uh, because he did pay for uh, white ball skills a little bit more. Um, but county cricket never really did. So it's only that period in the 80s into the 90s when white ball cricket explodes and it, you you know, you can do that um, and, and make your money. Aditya says, who would you rate as the best part-time bowler? Uh, do Root in Test and Tendulkar in ODIs rate as amongst the best? Um, the best part-time bowler. So in order to do that, Aditya, I'd have to have a look at someone who bowled, what, less than 20 overs a test match? Um, that's how, so I'd have to work that out mathematically, wouldn't I? And then um, go back from there. It's funny that you say Tendulkar, um, although you asked about speaking about limited overs. So there's a lot of sort of limited overs part-timers um, that are quite interesting. I just wanted to have a look at what... Oh, so Sewag averaged 40, 47. Um, does Senate Jace Ariat count? I suppose he probably moves a little bit beyond that. Uh, but Root and Sachin would probably be in the conversation. I don't know how often Bob Simpson bowled. It's kind of an older one. There's a lot of kind of older ones that are probably quite interesting from that perspective. Um so he takes 71 wicket. He's still got an average of 43, though, in test cricket. And obviously, kind of missed ODI cricket completely. Um, yeah, I. It's a, that's a really interesting question, Aditya, because if you look at guys like Darren Lehman and Viv Richards, right, are they part-timers? Because they bowl more than five overs a game in ODI cricket. Um, you, you put throw probably someone else like Carl Hooper in there again. Um, it, and then you've got someone like Michael Bevan, right, who... Certainly in ODI cricket, I would say if you look at his entire career, you would have to say that he was a part-timer. Um, let's have a look. He took 36 ODI wickets. Oh, actually, his record's pretty poor in ODI cricket. So in one in test cricket, um, he took 29 wickets in 18 games, an average of 24. Um, very reluctant bowler. I always thought he was a really good bowler, um, but uh, a really handy part-timer. So there, I'm sure there would be other like Michael Bevan-like part-timers. Um, Steve Waugh. But probably better than a part timer, but that was injured. Um, I'm trying to think of some other finger spinners from like because Sachin's interesting. Um, Carl Hooper, Sachin, Sewag. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I did. Yeah, I suppose what you would be looking at is a low wickets per game mark, um, and then you'd be then having to work back to, you know, what was their average and how they go. But there should be a couple of guys with really, really good records who probably didn't play all that much. Uh, sorry, who didn't bowl all that much. Um, and, and a lot of guys as well, like I think the difference with Root and Tendulkar is that they can bowl all the way through their careers. Whereas, you know, um, yeah, Michael Clark was probably a pretty good um, fifth bowler, right? And, and, you know, sort of part-time bowler. But Michael Clark by the end didn't bowl all that much. So... Let's have a look. 115 tests, 31 wickets. That's really, really low. But an average of 38, which is probably better than the other two guys. The six for nine helped. Um, but in ODI cricket, again, I kind of feel like he bowled more, but he only took 57 wickets in 245 games. But 
less than five economy, 37 average. What would Aravinda be? Aravinda is another one I'm interested in. Um, Aravinda da Silva. Uh, off the top of my head of someone who could be quite interesting. Let's have a look. Uh, 93 games, 29 wickets at 41 in Test cricket. In ODIs, um, 106 wickets in 300 games, an average of 39, economy of 4.86. Yeah, I just thought, just because they had Sanath and, you know, and one was an hospital and one was a right-hander, I I thought Aravinda was a pretty good bowler. <laughs> um, he's actually, I'm just having a look here, he's listed as a batting all-rounder um, in um, uh, on Crick Info. So I, I don't know, but those are the ones off the top of my head that kind of make sense. But yeah, um, those last two questions, uh, maybe I will have a look at them one day. Rudra says, will we ever see Vahari in tests again? It's, yeah, I, I think he, I mean, he clearly has, you know, test cricket talent, right? Um, the way that things are happening at the moment, he's 30, um, you know, he's averaging 50 in test cricket. He's probably, the Patadar spot is probably where you expected to see Bahari, isn't it? I, I would have thought. Um, you know, gives you some bowling probably as well like you know without him being you know you're not gonna give him the new ball or anything but on occasions he can he can he can run in like he's a you know talking about part-time is he's better than like a mike hussey or ricky ponting um you know, level of all-rounder right um this uh yeah just having a look here so 2022 first class cricket average is 44 2023 average is 37 um and then averaging 50 um so far this year. How has he? He's already played five games. He's averaging 50. Um, so he's back in a little bit of form. But yeah, you can certainly see 2021, 2022, 2023 was a drop-off. But he did have that drop-off is from averaging over 50 or basically over 50 for about five or six years straight in first-class cricket and some big numbers in there, some big years of uh, averaging, you know, 80s and, and 70s, I think, and, and things like that. So uh, I still think he has talent. I think it probably makes more sense for him to be looked at in that Patadar role. But it also makes sense for them to have a look at Patadar. So, um, you know, I don't think he'd be my, like if I was doing the depth chart, he would still be there. Um, I don't think they've really, they've not really filled the Rahane Pajara, you know, solidness. The other batters are perhaps more talented than, than someone like Vahari, although he's very talented as well, but they're also more dynamic. They might also have more holes. So, you probably have him in your mind, you know, especially if he regains that form. Um, but I don't think there's any rush for him to come back in. Uh, Rudra also says, is KS the smartest bowler in cricket has ever known for bowling the ball to get Matthews? Hopefully you've all seen the Ma Angelo Matthews ball. I felt really sad for KS Ahmed. He's a really positive guy who kind of, he's the kind of guy that if you said, could you move that mountain? He'd be like, yeah, I can move that mountain. Um, and, you know, he's been waiting for his opportunity with Afghanistan cricket. He's you know behind Rashid Khan and on the de on the depth chart, and obviously they've got many other other kinds of spinners as well. So he struggles to get in, gets that test match, and let's be honest, the ball did not come out of his hand the way he would have wanted. Um, I don't know how much first class preparation he would have had actually um, coming into that, but certainly didn't come out well. I think he got one wicket with a full toss, and then his other wicket was essentially a bouncer down the leg side. Um, was. Angelo Matthews probably played the perfect shot to it, which is if you get a ball like that, you just try and hit it to the part in the field where there is no one standing. Um, if anything, maybe Angelo Matthews tried to hit it a little bit too hard. You probably just tap it because you're going to get a four anyway. Um, you know, you just sort of whip it a little bit, whereas he tried to whack it to get his four um, and somehow manages to hit his thumbs. It, look, 
Isn't it great that with all the advancements in cricket and science and data and you know video and everything else, you could still have a moment as club cricket as what we saw with Angelo Matthews and KSR Ahmed. Did, oh, we've already done that one. Uh, Muku, you've got a couple of re- repeats in there. Oh, Muku's not here. Uh, Bloody says, during which years did you regularly watch Sheffield Shield games? What are some of the best performances matches you saw? Um, I think I first probably started in 87. Um, when So I leave in 2007. So it's probably... No, I left in 2008. So probably... Well, yeah, I would have been at Shield games up until 2008. I was a shift worker from 2000 to 2000 five six seven yeah um so um you know just basically all i did in that period when i wasn't working was go and watch movies um you know and uh and go and go and watch cricket so in the winter i'd watch all the movies um and then in the summer i'd you know go and watch shield cricket and uh you know uh Sometimes a eighteen cricket or second eleven cricket. Sometimes you know um, whatever was kind of in Melbourne at the time. Um, I would go down and see uh, best performances. Um, I think I've talked about it before, but I saw a Matthew Elliott hundred against I want to say Bracken Clark, Lee McGill. If Horace was bowling as well, um, or Crazier, um, that was just otherworldly. I remember seeing Ryan Campbell when he first started and just being like, "This is." He would just, it felt like he was going to score 50 off 30 balls every time he went out there. Um, he was just so dynamic. Um, I, I saw some of the, um, oh my God, what's his name? I was going to call him Ian Meckiff. Um, Troy Corbett, who's the guy who got called for chucking, who has a bowling average of, I don't know, whatever it is, eight in list A cricket. Um, he was, uh, you know, I saw him bowl and just like no one could ever hit him. Um, i trying to think of some of the, uh, you know, I saw some incredible Brad Hodge and Dean Jones innings. I'm trying to think of some of the overseas players. Um, I said not overseas players. Um, some some of the uh, uh, state players from other teams. I think I saw a really early Langer hundred. Um, I also saw on multiple occasions Langer just fighting with the crowd and like threatening to beat them up. Um, and and all sorts of things. I saw a lot of Greg Matthews doing that as well. I mean, to be honest, the MCG crowd is obviously a bit chirpy, but. It's quite full on. I saw a really good Glenn McGrath spell before he was great, but he was everyone kind of thought he was pretty good. But um, I remember him bowling. It might have been in a one day and just looked incredible. Oh, a Darren Lehman innings where he was just playing the the Victorian attack like it was like like they were all twelve year olds. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anyone more in control of where he wanted to hit the ball and when he wanted to hit it um, and just toying with the fields. Um, trying to think of any great overseas players I might have seen in touring games as well because um, I would have seen a few of those. I can't remember anything spectacular um, from any of those. Uh, and, I, you know, I saw a lot of great Matthew Innes spells as well, someone who's not talked about much anymore. All right, let's have a, another quick break. And then after the break, we'll be back with more of your questions. I'm Jared Kimber, and this is The Wagon Wheel. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro Desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. 
You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. All right, welcome back to Wagon Wheel. Uh, Bobby O says, do you think we'll see any Neil Wagner in the, in the second New Zealand South Africa test? I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone recently who was um, kind of asking my opinion, I suppose, on where they thought he was. And I, the last time I saw him bowl, I thought there was a little bit more energy than we had seen. But I do think there is a, there is a lot of people out there. And the reason I was asked this question is essentially a little bit leading. I think there's a lot of people out there who think he might be done. Um, he should be done <laughs> just because of how much... <laughs> energy you put into each individual spell but um i'm hoping that's not the case um and so obviously there's a chance you know they might bring him back i don't think they really need neil wagner in this test like if, if he's not done you know i, I just let, let him chill out a little bit more would be mine um if, if they do think he's you know got two or three years more left in him um uh but you know it just, he's um he's kind of done his work right like you know everything <laughs> I, I don't. I just don't see the point of him playing in games like this. I think I, I and I do understand the whole concept of um, uh, that. You know, they don't. They don't want to be in a situation where they're not playing their best players. But if Neil Wagner's only got, let's say, six more great Test match performances in him, right? And he may not even have that many. Six more great big long spells. Do you really want one of them to be against? You know, South Africa. E. F. Vivek says, uh, do you think that there are any cricket reasons to India losing the first test at home um, so often whenever they lose a test in India? No, because I don't lose many tests, so it's not like a huge um, uh, part of it. I do, and I've been saying this for a long time, that there are, you know, we saw this with Pakistan years ago when they played really well in England. We saw this with Australia and Pune, which is one of the wins that you're talking about. Um, sometimes teams just spend an awful lot of time preparing mentally and physically for a, um, you know, a test, uh, the first, the first one in, in the tour. And, you know, they're all thinking about it, you know, it could be a big tour for them. There might be a reason why that, whatever that may be. Um, and so they really prepare and get ready for it. And they, and the other team are playing at home and they're like, okay, we're playing this team. We'll think about them a little bit and, you know, and, you know, but we've got to worry about, you know, is our car insurance being paid and, you know, all the, all those sort of normal things. Um, and so I do think there is an element of that sometimes happening and India's become a tour that you have to think about a lot. Right. And England spent an awful amount of time thinking about how they were going to be successful in India. Did India spend as much time thinking about how they would beat England? Probably not. Right. And, and preparing and, and all those sorts of things. So I do think sometimes that is a part of it, but I, I don't know. It's such a small sample size, uh, that I, you know, I wouldn't go massively big on that. Um, theory, but it was something I certainly had a few years ago, and I saw it more often. Doesn't seem to have held up as much, but it occasionally does pop up. Will says, "I'm getting oh, I've already done that. What's going on, Mukuk? Mukuk's all over the shop here." Uh, Bloody says, "Inspired by your trash talk podcast with Rafi Cohen, uh, how did Australian cricket culture to how did Australian cricket culture towards sledging change show dramatically from the '60s and '70s? Um, is it because they were the first generation not to grow up with Bradman?" Oh, okay. Um, so how did how did they come more sledging? Australian cricket culture really had been verbal probably after World War 
one. So I would say Warwick Armstrong is a huge part of it. I said before, he's really the first Australian cricket captain, as in what you think of as an Australian cricket captain, sort of a bastard, right? And, um, you know, tough as nails and, you know, uh, a bit of a dick. Um, you know, all those sorts of things, like, you know, probably comes out of of, of him. But, our, you know, we talked about this recently. I do think Australian cricket is played very, very differently than other nationalities cricket like just the way that it developed um and and so it was probably more if you look at the england sledging and what we know of early england sledging it was a lot more sort of class put downs and um uh cheeky asides and everything whereas i think warwick armstrong was quite clearly trying to get in people's heads and really fuck them up right (laughs) um in a way that probably even WG Grace wasn't really doing, although, you know, there's obviously elements that he had um, to that as well. But he was WG Grace, so he didn't really think about it, whereas I think Warwick Armstrong did. You know, there's that story of, I always forget the player, is it Frank Woolley, where he bowls um, 20 minutes, maybe it's not 20 minutes, but 10 minutes, 12 minutes of warm-up deliveries on the pitch beside while Woolley's waiting to make his debut in Test Cricket. That's kind of where it starts, right? And and it continues to grow from there. But if you also go back, like think about, you know, the SCG. There's a, a a statue of a person who was famous for abusing players, right? But they were funny, so it's okay. Like, yeah, maybe maybe not. If you were the um, one that was being abused, I, I would assume. So I think it's more in that cricket culture uh, than anything else. And it was just slowly coming across um, the the. Bradman teams were a little bit different um, at, at times, but there was certainly, uh, well, Arthur Morris was really, really, you know, he would play psychological tricks with bowlers. Um, I'm missing someone else. There's someone else really obvious as well, uh, you know, that would that would get into people's heads and, and chirp at them. And the abuse thing really comes out more that I think the generation of the 70s, 80s was just probably, if you know, without being a sociologist, is probably the first truly Australian generation of people. I think if you listen to, you know, the old, old Australians talk, um, there was there was still an element of English within them. And then, you know, they, I've, I've talked about this before, but if you look at the 70s, 70s is when the music industry explodes in Australia and it's unlike anywhere else in the world, right? A completely different kind of, you know, uh, music, you know, that sort of pub rock, ACDC style of music. Then you have the cinema, which is also you know, Mad Max and, uh, you know, the cars that ate Paris and, you know, all these random films and like, you know, this cross between like European auteurs and just like Hollywood trash movies, which were just bizarre. And then you have the cricket team with the shirts all unbuttoned, chewing gum. And, and I do think that those three things are all linked and that Australia was becoming a full-fledged version of Australia, whereas even if you li- listen in the 50s and 60s to the old newsreels, it was very much, you know, it was an Australian trying to do an English accent kind of thing, and things just went so violently away from that. Um, and I think the Warwick Armstrong kind of, and there were lots of other guys, he's just like one of them, but there was a lot of other guys. I think that kind of fed in and just kept um, going up, and then they didn't want to be English, right? They Very, very clear how different the two societies were by that point and i think there's more of an explosion of that and and new zealand probably had it as well but it comes out you know new zealand's you know anyone who knows australians and new zealanders will be like they're similar but they're not really the same um and so i i think there was a big part of of that coming about um and then i I, you know cricket wise 
Australian cricket's always been a bit rougher and angrier and grittier than other places. And maybe that sort of the club side and the country, the cl- uh, you know, suburban cricket and country cricket especially, really, really, you know, quite full on at times. I think that kind of bled into the national team rather than the other way around. Um, I, I, was t- I was talking to an Australian great about this sort of stuff, maybe for Rafi's book or around Rafi's book. Um, and No, I was trying to get this person to talk to Rafi about it. But, you know, we were chatting about it and and I was saying that, like, I don't think people understand how much worse Australian club cricket was than the national team. And he was like, yeah, you, you, like even the Australian players would go back and, like, just would, would be like, what the hell is going on here? So I do think there was... That was, uh, you know, maybe a confluence of all those things, but it certainly goes back um, before Bradman uh, when it was starting. I think that's fair. I think Warwick Armstrong, even if he wasn't a sledger in the way that maybe Chapelli was or Steve Waugh was, it was kind of there and it was happening. Um, And then as the culture of Australia changed, and because, uh, as I said as well, because they played differently, it made sense to them to play this way. Ellie says, from a cultural significance, who who would you rather have cricket be popular in, Egypt or Brazil? Essentially, is it better for cricket to have a presence in the Latin world or the Arab world? Well, we might be in Saudi Arabia soon, Ali. Um, I would be happy with either because I would be happy to go to either country, which I've not been to either. Um, I suppose we know that cricket, from what I understand, cricket in you know Brazil and Argentina, you know, has obviously existed and had a pulse before, so it probably makes more sense for it to be in Brazil. Um, they are more known as a sporting nation, perhaps, than Egypt overall as well. So that would make sense. Uh, my, but if you want to know from a climate change point of view, I think Brazil would make a lot more sense because wouldn't the Arab... I don't know if the Arab world would be able to play cricket right? unless we get indoor stadiums. Like, how, I'm not saying they won't be able to play it at the top level, but will people be able to... I mean, it's already really hard to play cricket in the UAE. Um, you know, friends... I know that are over there just go, it's just not worth it. Um, so I would be, I would probably um, say Brazil um, based on all that. But, I, you know, we really just want it to be big in places with decent populations and economies. So, you know, Namibia and Papua New Guinea are absolutely fantastic. And I don't ever want those teams not to be good and keep growing and everything else. But from a from a global sport perspective, you know, you do need Brazil, Germany, Japan, uh, China, um, USA, you know, those sorts of countries as well um, to come on board. Um, and I don't know if Egypt, I don't know what the sort of population slash, you know, um, TV habits of, of, of people are in Egypt. Uh, whereas obviously I know a little bit more about Brazil just through, you know, what's happened with football and, and everything else. But um, so, yeah, from that perspective, I would have thought, Brazil, but it's not like, you know, this is a, a fascinatingly weird question. Um, and the answer is Japan. Uh, Bobbio says, what are the best foreign spinners on Indian wickets? What set of skills would you want a spinner to have to adapt to Indian conditions? You want to be a little bit quicker. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing uh, with Indian wickets. Also, you want to be able to use side spin. Um, and then what's the third thing I'm thinking of that I've now lost the word of? So you want to have side spin. Um, you want to be quicker. Oh, and you want to attack the stumps more. So a lot of, I think a lot of especially sort of Australian, English, New Zealand, maybe South African a little bit as well. A lot of their their spinners, um, you know, are bowling for courts and, and um, you know, uh, courted slip and everything else. Whereas the, 
traditionally um, in India and Pakistan, uh, you would probably bowl more at the stumps for um, bold and LBWs because the wickets help you, right? It's just a evolutionary thing. I, th- I think in cricket, sometimes we forget just how much of these things are absolutely evolutionary and there's, there's not much you can do about it. Um, but yeah, I, so I certainly think um, from that perspective, you, that those are the sorts of things that come off off the top of my head. Um, also, it might depend on what area you're playing in India, right? <laughs> like... Um, if it, you know Shane Warne and Murley were pretty good bowlers, uh, but they were playing in an era where you know they were going up against a lot of incredible players. Uh, let's have a look. So for all of the worry about him, Nathan Lyon has—I uh, um, think I said bowlers before I meant batters. Uh, Nathan Lyon has the most wickets in Asia by a foreign spinner, which I didn't realize, by the way. I'm not sure why I should have, but. The, the next player in the list actually makes a lot more sense, which is Derek Underwood, which is essentially what I just said. You need to be a little bit quicker. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, and he had a bowling average of 26. Um, so in 16 games, took 54 wickets. Didn't take a lot of wickets per game, weirdly, compared to Lyon. It's quite interesting. Anyway, uh, Richie Benno, again, um, I would have thought uh, a little bit quicker, uh, you know, had that sort of long you know not it wouldn't be quick by modern cricket but he would have been a quicker leg spinner at that time um so that makes a little bit more sense he had a bowling average of 18 uh lance gibbs okay i i haven't seen enough of lance gibbs to know what line he bowled um but very very interesting he averaged 23 there so warren and murley both average in the 40s vittori averages in the 40s canaria averages in the almost 40 uh then we're up to uh Iqbal Kazim, I don't know enough about him, to be honest, uh, to give you one. Ashley Mallett took 28 wickets at 19. Uh, be interesting. Uh, he only played five games. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's pretty much. And then you've got, obviously, Swan and Panasar. Um, so Panasar averaged 38 and Swan averaged 28 um, in, in their period. Um, unfortunately, we didn't see. Oh, and Saklain Mushtaq has an average of 20. And there's a couple of. Oh. Just to go back to what I was saying before, so it's really interesting here. You got Underwood and you got Headley Verity, sort of what what we would probably call slightly more direct bowlers. You know, a l- little bit quicker, a little bit more pace on them. Um, both very good on on um, uncovered wickets for those reasons when it when it got a bit damp or sticky. And they both got I, I, Headley Verity only played three games, but they both got really good records over there. Um, uh, or you can take Paul Adams, who in three tests took fourteen wickets at twenty. Um, but yeah, those would be the ones you'd almost want to, and, and this would probably wipe out a lot of the older bowlers, but you'd almost want to add, I would have thought Sri Lanka, but, you know, you then have the different batters and everything else. But I, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, the, it is, they are slightly different. Yeah. So Warren's average comes down to 31 when you add in um, Sri Lanka, uh, but you could see Underwood's figures get even better. Having said that, he would have only probably played one series in Sri Lanka and it would have been against a fairly early side. Leach, quite interesting, averages 28 um, across the two combined. Um, and Richie Benno, oh, he wouldn't have played in Sri Lanka, so that's fine. Just trying to see if there's anyone else I'm missing that comes up. Lance Gibbs wouldn't have played there. Uh, Monty Panasar's record actually gets worse when you factor in Sri Lanka. Um, just looking if there's any other sort of quicker spinners. No, not really. Um, oh, Harpashan Singh averaged 48 in Sri Lanka. Wow. Um, yeah, so so I think my, my you know, the Underwood Verity thing kind of makes me, and even the Richie Benno thing probably makes me think that it's just being that little bit extra quicker. Um, and then I would have assumed you also have to attack the stumps, which I think those two would have done as well. Um, 
uh, I'd have to go back and look at Underwood a little bit more, but I would have assumed the kind of bowler he was. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have bowled the big looping kind of you know uh, John Embry um, type of off spin outside of stump the the, the Moen Alley off spin that you you know drift out and come back in. I would have thought Underwood would have been a little bit more direct, keeping the stumps in play um, a little bit more. Um, that's really a good question as well. Some fantastic questions in there. Um, I'm going to take a quick break. And then I'll come back. I see there's some super chats, but I'll have a look if there's anything else in the room as well. This is Jared Kimber, and this is the wagon wheel. Why can't I find my really big ads? All right. Welcome back. And there's quite a few really good questions in the room as well. Some super chats. So thank you to everyone for those. So let's just get to uh, these, try and get through them before my sons come home from school. How are Umesh and Ishant not good enough to be in the team anymore, especially compared to Mukesh and Prashid? They could still be lethal, right? Look, I haven't seen them bowl well enough. I know Ishan took some wickets recently. Um, they definitely thought that those guys had struggled and were on their way out, Sega. But I, I, I haven't seen enough of them bowling to be to be able to give you a good thing. One thing I would say is that seamers towards the end of their careers usually drop off quite dramatically. I'm not saying that that is the case. Um, I thought with Ishan, he looked a bit flat in a couple of games. I would have probably hung around on him a little bit more. Umesh, I don't think I have as strong an opinion on him. Uh, but thank you very much for the super chat. I've got another one from you, do I? Uh, Sega says, why don't we have spinners anymore who turn the ball a long way like Morn or Murali used to? This is a fantastic question. And I um, I was thinking about this recently. Uh, the reason is they bowl quicker. So when you look at the slowest spinners by Hawkeye data, I think Warn, uh, you know, outside of Craig Brathwaite's moon balls, um, I think Warren always comes up as one of the slowest bowlers. He was incredibly slow. He was bowling around what 76, 78 kilometers an hour. Um, you know, that's you know, and and if you go back and watch Bishop Beatty bowl, I reckon he was even well slower than that again. Um, and Clary Grimmett, I don't know, Clary Grimmett probably wasn't breaking sixty kilometers an hour, right? So. <clears throat> It's the you know the quick you know the more that you go up in speed you can put the same amount of revolutions on the ball but you're not going to get as much purchase off the wicket. The best way of looking at that is essentially you know back of the hand slower balls are wrongins but they don't get the same kind of um, a very um, uh, spin back into the batters um, as they do. Even if you bowl leg spinner at top 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 pace, it's going to skid through a little bit more. So that's why we don't get that level of spin um, in general. I don't know if the wickets have changed, if that's played, but I would just say it's probably pace. Like, look, Rashid Khan is, what, 20, 25 kilometers quicker than Shane Warne? Be hard for him to spin the ball um, as much, I would have thought. Uh, uh, thank you for your two super chats, Sega. Um, Deepak says, why don't cricketers have their own signature shoes like other sports? Virup seems to be the only one. Surely cricket's big enough market for the brands to capitalize on. Um, I think there have been signature bowling boots before, haven't they? Um, I suppose we've got cricket bats as well. Um are cricket shoes all that different from each other? They're all kind of white. Is that a possibility you can't have, you know? I mean, sport didn't really have a lot of signature shoes before sort of Nike did the, uh, you know, started paying the fines for Michael Jordan, right? Um, so it's probably come off the back of that. But I do think there have been some signature shoes before Deepak. I could be wrong. Um, if you're talking about cricket boots, I'm pretty sure that I've seen um, cricket boots with players' names on them before. Um you know, we've probably seen quite a few signature items like, you know, hats, um, you know, Greg Chappell and um, Richie Richardson, were, you know, come to mind from that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know bowling boots or, or, or cricket boots, I should say in general. I, I don't, you know, they all kind of look fairly similar to each other. Like Lockie Ferguson would be able to 
make a fortune, but no one else can wear black boots when they're bowling in a cricket game. So it doesn't really follow. Um, that would be my guess anyway. Uh, thank you very much for your super chat. Um, it says, how did test cricket as a format come into being? Didn't one day cricket make more sense like every other sport where uh, one uh, one game completes in a day? How did no other sport go the test cricket route? Well, golf did. So golf is over four days. You can play golf. What what, what makes what makes us need golf over um, you know multiple days any more than cricket? Um, I think the upper classes had a lot of time in their hands in England. There's a lot of, and, and this history is never talked about. This is why the whole, these old guys who hate um, T20 cricket and everything, it's like, have you seen the history of cricket? There were used to be like, you know, lots of one-day games played and, and they weren't called one-day games, um, but they were like uh, one-on-one games and two-on-two games and I think maybe five-on-five and that sort of stuff. Um, but they became sort of more like, festivals i suppose with with wealthy involved quite often wealthy people hosting them you know would bring a bunch of people to their house for three or four days and have three or four days of cricket um and that's kind of how cricket becomes more professionalized um and that's obviously through the england system um which then that off the back of that really comes county cricket um uh and then county cricket is the basis for test cricket Right. So uh, I would assume that is what it was that more. You still have in England, you know, these festivals of cricket. Um, so they still exist, but not obviously quite in the same way as they used to. Um, the, the other thing is that you, if, if you think about it from a money perspective, you can play cricket four days in a row um, for six or seven hours a day with the same set of players and a bit like golf. You can play golf with the same set of players over a long period of time. Um, and so I would assume, remember, sport is gambling. You have lots of different things that people can gamble on over a long period of time. You don't need to ship in four different football teams because people are exhausted. It goes for a huge amount of time. You can stop and have lunch and enjoy yourselves and all these different things. So I think that sort of atmosphere of it probably played a part. Um, there was one-day cricket. There was two-day cricket. There was three-day cricket. Um then obviously, you know, four and five day cricket comes later and, and some timeless crickets, six day cricket as well. Um, so it's not like there was ever really a settled period, but I think the idea was that in order to find out who was best. And, and one thing I would say about cricket specifically is that it was really, really random at that point because the pitches were so uh, random. And so you probably needed to play longer to work out who was the better team. Right. If you're playing on wickets that are essentially just a field, right, you, you're not going to be in a situation where um, you're going to always trust what happened in. Here's the thumb again. <laughs> you're going to be in a situation where you're always going to trust uh, the field. Um, so I do think all those sorts of things are a big part um, of, of, of that. Um, I'm just going to take a quick break and unlock the door uh, for, for my kids and then come back. But I've got a few more questions. So don't go away. Um, some really good questions in the chat today. Jared Kimber, Wagon Wheel. All right. Manon says, who decides stars get the G while the Renegades get to be the regional team? Shane Warne. No, no, no. It was, it was set up that way originally. So the idea was that they weren't going to be able to have two teams that Melbourne would get behind. And so the thought being is if they had one team in Melbourne, that could be kind of the majority of Melbourne's population. And then what they were hoping is by having the team um, at the Docklands, they could get Geelong and the Western suburbs to support that team. And to be fair, I've got some friends who live in that area who are Renegade supporters, so there is an element of that working. But, you know, you you, you kind of, 
there was always going to be one main team and one on smaller team. It's exactly the same. They and they knew that when they were designing it is my uh, is my recollection. They never thought the Renegades were going to be as big as the Stars. And the same thing with Sydney, right? Like you know, one one team was going to be um, for the um, what's going to say the Western Suburbs. Do I mean the Western Suburbs or wherever it is in Sydney? The one that's out in the middle of nowhere. It takes me forever to get to for games. Um, and and you know the other one was going to be at the SCG. Like you can't really. That's just a occupational hazard of of the way it is and, and it makes if you think about it it makes more sense from a from a marketing point of view too because then the renegades are like great well we know where we're going to market and melbourne stars are like yeah we know how we're going to do the rest of it i don't know how much it actually follows i don't know if they're like kids in packenham who like the melbourne stars um uh, sorry who like the renegades um but you know i've got some family out in the west um in that sort of uh, you know uh, area and, and i know that they like where uh, renegades and a few of their friends like the renegades so Maybe it does work. Um, Harry says, if Ashwin can add some power element to his batting, changing his batting technique just a little, um, that can help much in overseas tours like Australia, where support for spin much reduced um, to about one day. He's 34, isn't he? <laughs> also, why does he need power? He doesn't need power. Um, it, you know, you don't need power to bat in Australia. I would say, I mean, the ball's coming on pretty fast anyway. He's 37. Jesus. What are we talking about? He's not going to put on any power, Harry. Um, I mean, you know, maybe if he really looked into it, but he, he doesn't need he doesn't need any power. He just needs to bat better in foreign conditions. And the reason he can't, probably especially at his age, is because his back is not particularly good and he's not a fast twitch athlete. He can't get out the way. He can't move around and he's not particularly good when it comes up in this area, um, you know, outside of stump either. It's, it's not a power thing. He, look, he might have some good batting and he might spend some time on it, but he's not about to become like an all-rounder in overseas conditions. So it says, have you been following the Under-19 World Cup? Some great potentials like Mushia and Mapfucker. Well, apparently not because I just... Mapfucker? No, it's probably not Mapfucker. <laughs> um, are there any that caught your eye? Also, what KPIs would you look at um, to project them as professionals? Are you, well, you're looking at... Um, all the same things that you're looking at for any other players, right? Uh, can they move the ball both directions? Um, if they're, you know, if they're a spinner or a, or a quick, what's their stock ball like? Um, what's their height? Do they skid on? Um, if they're batting, can they score in all different places or just one or two places? I've seen a little bit. I mean, I've been flicking through it. Obviously, you know, I've had just had two tests, so I haven't been um, obsessing over it. Um, but I watched some. Um, I. Th- think i can get access to some of the clips so i might go back and have a look at some players but yeah i'm looking for all the same things i'm looking at when you're picking a player um to play you know for your national team it's just that you're trying to find it at that younger age like what is what's the what's the thing that this bowler has that is going to get them wickets at the next level relate <sighs> why the indian batting is kind of bad this time should have scored in all four innings yeah i think that's fair um why i know it's not really followed the same pattern all the way through so and there might be a little bit of random this year. Is it perhaps England have just planned better to their batters and allowed them to step into things? England are very good at getting you out, and you know, in this baseball era, without batters going really, really big. And maybe India weren't for all the talk about how they were going to bowl to baseball. Maybe they didn't really think about how they were going to score consistently against baseball without losing wickets. And I think that's a huge factor in how you beat England at the moment. Ben says, you have mentioned you have appealed for handling the ball. I have successfully. Uh, your thoughts on the under-19 dismissal. Don't pick up the ball. Don't pick up the ball. There's no reason for a batter to pick up a cricket ball, ever. 
It's in the laws to begin with, but also why would you do it? What What is being gained? The millisecond, right? And on top of that, I don't want you to pick up the ball if I'm the bowling team because I want the ball to maintain its hardness. I don't want your sweaty gloves putting stuff on it that might make it softer, that might ruin reverse swing, that might um, get involved with the seam. No, I don't want any of that. Don't touch my ball. Just bat. That's your job, to bat. Maybe if you hit a non-striker's end and a throw comes in and it hits you and it's a dead ball situation and the ball's at your feet and you're like, it's, it's a bit rude. Even then, I probably, more often than not, would just hit it along the ground to the bowler. They can pick it up themselves, right? There's just no reason to pick up a ball. And it's, it, it's baffling to me because the, the problem is that once you kind of get in your head that you're going you're gonna to be the sort of person who picks up the ball, like, um, <laughs> like you will do it in the wrong time anyway. This one wasn't, right? It wasn't one of those ones that was spinning back onto the stumps, but it doesn't matter because the ball was quite clearly still live. <laughs> it was wasn't a dead ball. There's just no reason to do it. I just I don't understand. And so I saw someone. I think someone tweeted. I think it was me um, saying, "Oh, well, you know, we in the nets we make people pick up the balls." I'm like, yeah, in the nets we have nets as well. There's lots of different things about the nets. We don't bowl six balls in a row, right? We don't run in the nets, but we still expect people to be able to understand all those different things when they're playing in a game. We pick the ball up in the net because otherwise, the next person it takes you too long to get the following ball. There's a wicketkeeper. A foot away. He was literally bending over to pick it up himself. I just don't see why you would ever do that. It's it's so weird to me. Uh, Hypercore says the best new market in terms of demographic projections would be Nigeria. Yeah, sorry, I should have said Nigeria. I think they're a really fascinating one as well. Um, I think the ICC are interested in Nigeria, and it's one that I've had on my... I, I don't know how much about their career, but it's one I've had on my mind a little bit as well. But yeah, there's, that's what I mean. There's you know Germany, Nigeria, Japan, China, um, Indonesia. Um, there's probably some more in South America and uh, Africa that I'm not thinking of as well. Like I th- think there's quite a few markets that are quite interesting um, going ahead. Obviously Thailand now with the, with the women's side, you know, uh, when it comes to those sorts of things. Um, Sherat says, why did you break up with Barrett? Well, unfortunately, um, you know, it was a hot and heavy romance when we first met and uh, the sex was great. But after a while, to be honest, yeah, we just, we weren't sleeping in the same bed anymore. We didn't break up. Um, Barrett was, um, when we did India, Australia, he just wasn't about, uh, was it India, Australia, or the ashes? He just wasn't around. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, he would send me apolog- apologetic messages, but he wasn't around to record. Um, and I'd already committed to the extra podcast. I would still get Barrett on again one day. But, you know, Barrett is, I think he would, uh, agree with this. He's not exactly the best when it comes to scheduling and meeting um, times. And, you know, with podcasting, it's just really tough, especially because we, me and him only had like a very small window that we could record because of when he would be free and when I was free. So I was recording like midnight on Monday nights, uh, which was like 7 a.m. or whatever it was. I can't remember the exact times in Adelaide. Um, and so even our normal recordings weren't particularly great. Um, you know, Obviously, he's a mate and he's still a mate. We haven't broken up. Um, and, you know, one day I would happily get him back on and, you know, uh, I, you know, I set up the original Mitchell Johnson podcast for him, which I think he's back doing again. Um, I think Barrett's a natural podcaster. 
um, maybe even more so than some of the rest of us who are podcasters. Um, so, you know, I would love to get him on uh, a podcast again, but it's just really, really tricky. Um, and the times and, and, and everything else don't work as well as they should. Um, but, you know, me and Barrett, uh, still friends and still, you know, we're, we're still fine. But um, I don't know if I'd, he'd ever be on weekly again, just because I don't know if he has the time. But if we ever worked for the same organization, we would currently build that, build that in. And that was that was the original plan when he came on the podcast was, you know, it's going to be part of 99.94 and where he was going to get his own podcast. I would have my own podcast. We would do episodes together. You know, we had this huge plan. I know Barrett really wants to do more podcasts, but it just didn't happen. Um, and, you know, it's a shame, but, you know, there's heaps of people in cricket that I want to work with more. Like, you mean Andy Zaltzman don't work together anymore. Me and Sam Collins, me and George Dobell. Like, you know, there's just heaps of people that that I really, really like. You know, I'd, um, I'd love to be able to get, you know, Isam and Fernando and Monga, although Monga probably wouldn't want to do it. But, you know, some of the people that I, you know, came up with and, um, you know, really respect from that point of view, um, would love to get them on weekly podcasts. And um, even Estelle, I pay her and I can't get her on, a, on, on, she should be on this podcast actually. Where's Estelle? Um, so, you know, it's tricky. And, you know, also with my life, like I just had to take an ad break to go downstairs to open the door to let my kids in. Like I'm fitting the podcast in where I can, right? And, you know, last night after, so I got up at 2 a.m. Yeah, 2 a.m. yesterday. And me and Bayram must have finished my last podcast at 10.30 p.m. So that whoever is the co-host has to kind of, you know, uh, fold in. And because Bayram's not a writer, his actual um, uh, schedule is much more flexible. Plus, he is a host, whereas with Barat, he's a co-host. So I have to come up with a lot of the work for, for Barat, whereas with Bayram, it's not quite the same thing, right? Like, Bayram is brilliant, you know, going off and doing, in, in fact, genius at all that. And he's, I'm probably also not, I'm, I can host and obviously have done it professionally for many years. But I think my main thing is probably preferring to be a co-host, unless I'm interviewing someone like Red Inca. Um, I like being the person, you know, on the other side um, and, and doing that sort of stuff. Which that's kind of what I do with you guys on on Wagon Wheel, right? I'm like, you guys ask all the questions, and then I'll answer them. I can do that. Um, you know, it, it, that suits me a lot more. So again, Bayram fits from that point of view. But you know, I, Barrett Saltzman, um, Joe Bell. Vish. I mean, I've never done anything with Vish, really. Roller is another one. Um, I, you know, got to get Estelle on a few more things. Sarawaras is someone I'd like to work with more. Like, there's heaps of them. And Barrett was kind of the first one. And he allowed for, I mean, Barrett coming on and not being paid. Oh, actually, he was paid when he started, but we're not being paid for a long time afterwards because I didn't have any money on my network. Um, after 99.94, I went down. Um, you know, Barrett really made it a an important you know, part from, uh, you know, if he's allowed me to expand this podcast network, he's a friend and I love chatting to him as well. Right. And me and him have very similar, we're both very globally f- focused cricket writers and, you know, Bayram's not right. And, 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 um, and Zoltzman's not, you know, a lot of people are not in that, in that kind of level. Right. So me and Bayram are a natural pairing, but life gets in the way. And, you know, one day, um, if, if you've got the $2 super chat, so you're on your way, but you know, if, if for those who didn't see, I put it up on LinkedIn and I think we put it, might've put it out on the Substack, uh, which is now um, not a Substack, but goodareas.co. If you haven't seen my new website, goodareas.co. Um, you know, we, we did an article about, um, kind of the future. Uh, like, I think there should be a new model for cricket writing slash cricket media. Um, and I think someone will work it out very soon. Um, 
I'm very passionate about this, uh, but you are talking about you know probably two million to three million US dollars a year to get this idea working and up and professional the way that you need it to be. Um, then me and Barrett would come back together, right? You know, because we'd probably be well. I mean, I don't know if he would accept. Obviously, he's working with Crackbars, but you know, then there's something. You know, we're talking about me barely being able to you know um, pay for my staff at different times, and you know, very hand to mouth in this organization as we are at the moment. Uh, you know, and perhaps if I could pay Barrett regularly, he would come back, right? Um, but this is the reality of where we are, right? Uh, and, you know, your super chats and the Patreon and all these sorts of things really, really help. But essentially what we need to be able to do is get some solid investment. And it's the one thing that we haven't really been able to do. I would love to run an entire cricket media network, you know, with anywhere between 15 and 35, you know, creative people, you know, back-end staff, podcasts, videos, writing, you know, the whole thing, maybe even commentary, the whole kit and caboodle. But these things cost money. And, you know, I've spent a good two years of my life trying to get that investment and haven't been able to do it. My business, this, this, the goodareas.co business, is certainly growing. So um, it's doing really, really well. So, uh, you know, massively keen on um, to continue to push that. But it's, you know, it might end up being a really, really big thing, but it's not going to be a thing where you know, uh, where we probably get millions of dollars of investment or anything else. So this is where we are, and this is what's happening at the moment, and uh, that's life, you know. And uh, there's heaps of great people. There's people in cricket that I, that I'm really close with that I probably never even recorded podcasts with, right? Like, um, that I would love to. Yeah, uh, Gideon. I used to have Gideon. I mean, Gideon had a Crick Info podcast together. That would be great as well. Sega says, why doesn't someone like Jadeja field in the slips, especially in tests where saving ones and twos in the outfield doesn't have a huge bearing on the results? He might not be a good slip fielder. Completely different kind of fielding. Um, might prefer to be in the outfield. Um, not everyone likes to be in the slips. It's a very specialist position. Um, might have different kinds of hands as well. It's They're not very, you know, that, there is overlap, of course. Um, you know, we've had some great outfielders become great slip fielders. We've had some great outfielders who haven't become great slip fielders. Um, so you, you'd have to ask him directly, but I would be assuming that he just doesn't want to because I don't think they would say no if you asked. So I'm says, I mostly watch cricket and just a little bit of football and tennis, but I know you watch everything from baseball to Aussie rules. <laughs> uh, what is it about the cricket you like? I don't watch a lot of baseball, to be fair. Although a little bit of baseball. Um, what is it about cricket I like? There's a, I love the fact that within the one sport, one person might have to bowl for a day and a half and the other one might only face one ball. So there's, they're completely different. I love the fact that we have slow bowlers and that we have fast bowlers. I love that the fact that the wicket kicker can stand up the stumps or might have to go back. I love the fact that we don't have a, a, a map of fielding positions. Uh, well, I shouldn't say, we have a plan of fielding positions for certain kinds of bowlers because it's kind of endless, the amount of different um, you know field patterns that you can do. I love that cricket is played on uh, grass and so because of that, throughout the game, uh, it will actually change what happens. Um, I love that it can't be conquered and that it evolves quite rapidly. I love that different countries shape it in their own way. And almost every country has played a part in what the sport is at the moment. Um, so I love all these different parts of it. Um, I love, as a cricketer, I, you know, legitimately just love hitting a ball um, and, and, and bowling a ball. Uh, I love fielding. I love sledging, um, you know, um, so all of those things off the top of my head are probably what I love uh, the most. But thank you for your question. We've got two more Super Chats come in. Samit says, Rodney Hogg was in the news prior to the West Indies Australian series. Most of us know him for the jawbreaker 
um, to Viv Richards, the MCG, 7980, and Viv's reply, what kind of bowler was Hogg? Unrik Nokia without any kind of extra skills. Maybe not quite as quick as Unrik Nokia, but maybe it is very best. You know, obviously had that incredible ashes. Very fast bowler without much guile would probably be the best way of putting it. Um, thought the short ball could answer every single question. Um, the, uh, uh, probably a good bowler to have around Tomo and Lily, but perhaps by that point, Tomo had slowed down a little bit. But, you know, having three of them together, but because of um, World Series cricket and all the different things, maybe we never got them all at their peak at the same time. But, yeah, very much a bang it into the wicket kind of bowler. Um, a, and loved his bounces, but you know, I don't think anyone would have seen him as like a genius or anything like that. Sydney, last super chat says, "Have you considered doing any um, follow up on on Danielle? Is it McGahey? Um, and how the ICC is failing trans cricketers? I haven't really thought about it, Sydney. To be honest, um, we've got a big piece coming out about the Afghanistan women's team shortly. Uh, but you're right. Um, I, I don't know if I have a contact, but I'm sure I could find her somehow. Uh, <laughs> maybe." Um, she was for Canada, did she? I know. I think I know someone um, who's around Canadian cricket. Um, so yeah, there's a possibility there. Um, uh, but yes, I haven't thought about it. But yeah, it's something that you know, I I I need to. Um, I, I probably do need to look look into going ahead. Um, I would love to see the ICC's m- m- much research on all, on everything, but I, I suppose they won't show me that as well. But it's a it's a fascinating um, issue, and yeah, I might see it. Might be something um, that we go into. It's probably not going to be for the next six months because I think we've planned a lot of our features for the next six months. Um, but maybe towards the Women's World Cup might be might be a good time to to have a look at that, um, actually, whenever that is. Is it September? October? I feel like it. I feel like there's always a World Cup in September or October, uh, in October at the moment. So it's a pretty good guess that it'll be around there. Hypercost is like, pumping the exact dates into the the chat if he's still around um but that's it for me a little bit longer today but some really great questions out there as as well again um thank you very much to everyone uh for asking and for the so many super chats as well who Sagar and um samit who we have deepak uh, uh sherat uh who else was there soham and sydney as well um huge thanks to everyone i've, I've got to finish this show now because my son is literally yelling just outside my office unaware that I am recording. Uh, So we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you to everyone for the chats, comments. Throw us a like on this chat and obviously subscribe and uh, we'll be back again next. Do you want to come say goodbye to everyone? I'm on live and you've now ruined everyone's. They're all here watching me and you've just come in. What? uh, Come here. Come here. Come here. What what do you love about cricket? I only came out to see when we were going to tennis. What do you love about cricket? Oh, they threw over my basketballs. What do you love about love cricket? Football. Why do you love cricket? I like bowling. Yeah. What do you like about bowling? <laughs> Get out of my office. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. 
please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today.